Welcome to Speaking of Higher Ed, Conversations on Teaching and Learning. This podcast is produced by the Center for Instructional Innovation at Augusta University. I'm your host, Andrew Everett. The purpose of this podcast is to provide a resource to help you create engaging and meaningful learning experiences. This is Episode 9. We release new episodes the third Wednesday of each month in spring and fall semesters. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. Our guest today is... Lauren Barbeau. Thank you. Dr. Barbo is the Assistant Director for Learning and Technology Initiatives at the Georgia Institute of Technology. So that our listeners can get to know you a little bit better, briefly share your professional path that led you to your current role at Georgia Tech. So my path to this career was pretty meandering. Um, I started off as a PhD in American literature, and all through graduate school, I was working with my teaching center, and I knew that I didn't want to go tenure track, and I I spent six years trying to figure out what it was that I did want to do until one day I realized, hey, I've been working with this teaching center for six years. This is a job, and I could do this. Um, So I started looking for jobs in this field, and that took me to my first job at Georgia Southern. At Georgia Southern, I was hired to bridge the two sides of the CEDL. So the the first half was educational development and the other half was instructional design. So I was really in this position where I was teaching with technology focused and I loved doing that. Eventually, I moved on to a position at the University of Georgia, where I was focused on SODL. Um, And as much as I love SODL, I miss the technology piece of my job. And that's what led me to this position here at Georgia Tech, where I really am back in that position where I'm at the crossroads of teaching with technology. Wonderful. So you've toured Georgia. (laughs) Yes, I've toured Georgia. (laughs) Well, we're glad you're here. Let's go ahead and get into the topic for today, which is critical teaching behaviors. The first question, what is the critical teaching behaviors framework? So the critical teaching behaviors framework consists of six categories of defined teaching behaviors. So, for instance, it starts with align. What this means is we define what it means to align your content. We define that for you. And then the second column of the framework gives you example behaviors of what you might do if you are aligning your content. So you would have learning outcomes on your syllabus, for instance. You might share learning outcomes at the beginning of a lesson. Um, And the third column of the framework then gives you ideas of documentation you can provide to someone who's reviewing your materials to show that you are, in fact, aligning your content. So the category consists of six categories, as I said, um, framework, and it's align, (coughs) include, engage, assess, integrate technology, and reflect. So those, based on our review of literature, those are the big categories that capture what it means to teach effectively. And so what inspired you and your co-author to pursue developing this framework? At the time, Claudia and I were both working at Georgia Southern University, and um, I'm assuming many of our listeners are based in Georgia. um, And Georgia Southern was going through consolidation with Armstrong State University in Savannah. Um, These were campuses that had very different cultures, very different uh, definitions of what teaching meant. class sizes, modalities, uh, the the amount of time and effort faculty put into that. Uh, Faculty at Armstrong State, for instance, had a much higher teaching load and a lower research load. And so this was leading to all sorts of discussions, not always amicable, (laughs) about um, what good teaching meant and how we document and assess that for uh, 
promotion purposes. And as the Center for Teaching and Learning, we were getting these questions regularly. So Claudia was having these conversations and I was having these conversations with faculty and we put our heads together and we said, somebody needs to come up with a definition of what good teaching is. And we said, well, surely there's literature on this. And there is, there's tons of literature on this. So we are not the only definitive framework that's out there. But one of the things that we noticed is that all these other frameworks are focusing on things like <clears throat> teacher qualities, um, oftentimes looking at personality or static traits. And what we know about teaching is that it consists of behaviors and good teaching can be learned. This was the premise that we started with when we thought about critical teaching behaviors. So we wanted to focus on things that were objective, that could be seen. So we really focused in on behaviors and that's what we built the framework around. What can we see? So taking kind of a scientific approach to teaching. Um, if you were going into someone's classroom to observe them as if it was a laboratory, uh, what can you see happening that you could write down? And what can you as the instructor reflect on as a behavior that you can either adapt or adopt to improve your teaching? And what can readers expect from your, your book and all that work you've, you've done? So what readers can expect is that in the first half of the book, we give a six-chapter overview of the framework itself. So each, each um, category of the book has its own chapter. And in those chapters, you'll see an overview of the research that we did to define that categorical behavior. And then you're going to see... Uh, what we know, what we do, and what we show. So that's how each of the first half of the book is divided up chapter-wise, um, so it's consistent. And the idea is that you walk away from each chapter with concrete ideas of what you can be doing and then how you can document that, again, for that promotion and assessment purpose. The second half of the book gets more into how you can pull all of these disparate behaviors together to begin crafting a narrative of teaching effectiveness. So it gives a lot of reflection prompts. Uh, it guides you through the process of thinking about your core teaching value as a way of framing your documentation materials. And then it also helps you collect evidence of your teaching effectiveness from others, including peers as well as students. So we include peer observation materials as well as a protocol. We include student feedback materials as well as a protocol for conducting student feedback. Um, so this really is a comprehensive guide to documenting and talking about your teaching and providing a common language for others to understand what it is when you are talking about your teaching. And so how can faculty use this information in your book? Faculty can use the information in this book primarily to begin planning a path for documenting their teaching. Oftentimes, we wait until that moment where we absolutely have to document our teaching, and then we're looking through our materials saying, what can I use? What can I use? And that can lead to a scattered narrative, a syllabus here, an assignment there, but it's not really contributing to a whole. The idea behind this book is that you really plan ahead and you say, I want to showcase that I'm an inclusive instructor. Here are the materials that I want to collect. Here are the materials that I want to develop. 
So we're giving faculty a framework that helps them plan for their professional growth and documentation. But we're also showcasing these are the behaviors that lead to improved student outcomes. So when you're doing these things, you can know that you're an effective instructor and someone reviewing you can know that you're effective as well. So all of the research behind the behaviors included in the framework shows us that it leads to improved student outcomes. Now, the definitions on improved student outcomes might differ. So for instance, that might mean retention, that might mean four-year graduation rates, it might mean higher test scores, but all of those things taken as big picture are what we mean by improved student success. And we know that here in the University System of Georgia, student success is a very important metric. So the idea is that we're giving the teaching behaviors that faculty can implement to know that these are going to lead to improved student success outcomes. And they can make plans for when they're going to make those changes and how they're going to document it. So the idea is to really give you a career trajectory to improve and document your teaching. And what about the feedback? What feedback are you hearing from your readers and how this has helped them document their teaching? So I think one of the most powerful examples of feedback we've received is a faculty member at Georgia Southern who was actually using this framework when it was still in beta testing before we'd even published this book. Um, and she used this framework to assemble her application materials for the Governor's Teaching Fellowship. And she ended up getting the Governor's Teaching Fellowship, which is a pretty prestigious um, award here in Georgia given out by the state. Um, and she wrote us and gave us a really nice piece of feedback saying, this framework helped me figure out how to create a cohesive portfolio that advanced a central argument about why I'm a good teacher and not just cobble together like here are some materials that demonstrate my teaching effectiveness, but really develop that guiding narrative to show your readers what you want them to know about you as a teacher. Um, so that was the, the feedback that we got from a faculty member using this. But we've also gotten feedback from others who are using this to create conversations in their departments or their institutions even about what good teaching means. So we've worked with some faculty uh, as well as some CETL folks out in uh, California and out in Arizona who have been working on tenure and promotion guidelines, for instance, or peer observation guidelines. And the feedback that we're getting from those folks is that this instrument, this book, really does provide a common language in which to talk about what we mean by good teaching. Because good teaching can mean so many different things across disciplines, and it can mean so many different behaviors. And while you know, nobody can capture everything. Uh, we've tried as much as possible to be fairly comprehensive and to be interdisciplinary as well as conscious of different modalities. So we're not just geared towards face-to-face -face teaching. We're also thinking about the blended synchronous environments and the online environments. Um, and what we've heard from others who are using this is, yeah, we've provided the common language that's necessary to have conversations around how we evaluate teaching. Now, of the six categories, are they, they're essentially all weighted the same or they don't carry any weight? Is there or do you have a favorite category? <laughs> favorite. <laughs> um, so first, I want to address the question of weight. 
um, by stating that we did not design the framework itself to be a rubric. Um, there's, there's a nice little graphic, and I'll, I'll point to it right there because there's the book. Um, and the graphic on the cover is not a model of how we're weighting these categories, but it's how we think the categories interact with each other. So the I really love color coding, so everything on this is color coded. Um, the yellow category is assess. The green one is include. The red one is engage. The orange one is integrate technology. And so these form the internal behaviors that are encompassed by first align, which is purple, and then um, the reflect, which is the bigger circle, um, is the blue one. Um, the idea is that these four internal overlapping categories are the things that are often easier to see in our teaching. So if I were to walk into your class tomorrow morning, for instance, I might be able to see you formatively assessing your students very easily. And I could even say, oh, he's, he's using this formative assessment to engage his students. It's not always easy to see alignment unless we're intentional in documenting that and showing that to others. And reflection can be even harder to document. Um, so we call these sort of the invisible behaviors, um, the, the below the surface iceberg behaviors. They take up a lot of time, but we don't always see them. We see their fruits, but we don't see the labor. Um, and in the book, we talk more about that as well as the iceberg analogy and what it means to have invisible behaviors, we're doing them, but not necessarily for an audience. They're not as documentable. And so we give strategies on how you can document those behaviors. Um, so this is not a rubric. We all weight them equally. Um, we believe that each of these behaviors categorically is necessary for good teaching. If we don't have all of them, we, we can't be an effective teacher. However, um, we all have strengths, right? Um, I think my strengths as an instructor are most likely in the reflect and include categories. Um, I've had excellent feedback that I'm very engaging, so that's great too. Uh, but I know that one of the things that I can get better at is assessment. Uh, that is not necessarily one of my categories of strength. So if I'm looking at this framework, I think about it in terms of where are the areas where I think I'm doing very well implementing the behaviors and I can provide easy documentation where are the categories where I might want to focus for growth? And I set goals for that, for instance. Um, so one of my goals has been to provide better assessment prompts. Um, for those of you who are familiar with TILT, Transparency in Learning and Teaching Framework, that's a great way of transforming your assessments to make them more accessible to your students. So I've been trying to apply that to every single piece of assessment I hand my students, even if it's a formative assessment in the classroom. I try to give a really quick, this is why we're doing this, and this is what you're going to get out of it. Um, so I think of the categories more as a way of reflecting on my own teaching and where I need to grow versus where I'm demonstrating strengths. Um, so this is a great foundation, however, for building a rubric. And I, I gave a workshop for Georgia Tech on that last fall, actually. And I've done some conference presentations because it does provide that common language in which to discuss what good teaching is. It does that work for you so that you don't have to have all these meetings to say, well, what do we even mean by good teaching before you can build the rubric, which is often how those meetings go. Before you can build the rubric, you have to know what you're talking about. Um, so I think that's one of the strengths of this book as well. Um, as far as a favorite category, um, boy, that's rough. Uh, I think my favorite 
category is is reflect. Uh, what's interesting is that when I wrote this book, I wrote the chapter on core value and identifying your core value. And I have this whole long statement in there about include and how that's my core value. Uh, but as I was writing this book and subsequently, I'm like, man, I think my core value has really shifted to reflect. And I give this as an example to say that uh, we're not a personality assessment. <laughs> we're not trying to peg you as, oh, you're you're the integrate technology person and you'll always be that. We grow and change over the course of our careers. And this is really more of a reflection tool to help you see where you are in your teaching journey and maybe where you want to go. And so I think that certain categories can become more important to you at different times in your career, depending on what you're focusing on or, or your headspace, for instance. So is this something you do annually for yourself? Is this, or is this something, how, how does this work? Do you, is this a continuous process of using this framework and saying, well, what have I done? Where am I at? Where am I going? This is a great question. Um, I think the answer is going to be different for me because I wrote it. So, so this is always in my head, right? Um, I would imagine if you didn't write this and it's not always in your head, then sitting down and making time to do this is more important. Um, I tend to think about this most at the beginning and ends of semester. Um, so throughout the semester, you know, I'm taking notes and I'm troubleshooting and I'm thinking about what I might want to change for next time. But at the beginning of the semester, when I'm crafting my materials and brushing things up and getting them ready, um, I, I'm really thinking about, okay, what is my intention this semester? So I always go into the semester with a specific goal, and I'll give you an example of that. Um, my most recent teaching goal was actually to create a more inclusive and engaging syllabus. So I embarked on this process of creating a magazine-like syllabus. I used student-centered language. Um, it's really a masterpiece, if I don't say so myself. <laughs> and I, I built in alignment so that students are actually seeing what the course learning outcomes are and those are all tagged with the assessments for the semester. So every single assessment has, you know, this is, it, it aligns with learning goal 1.2 and 3.3, for instance. Um, and so I set those goals for myself every semester. They, they might change. Sometimes it's about using more formative assessments. I've actually had learning goals that were just about cultivating a teaching persona that was more friendly and approachable, which would be an include behavior. Um, I've, I've had some that are presentation focused, so we would consider that an engaged behavior. Am I using a lot of uh, ahs and ums and filler words? How am I using my hands? Am I moving around the room? Am I making eye contact? Um, so those are examples of goals I've had in the past. So every semester I sit down and I identify, here's the thing I'm going to do this semester. And at the end of the semester, I'll look back and see, how did I develop in that area? Did I develop in that area? So with the syllabus one, it was pretty easy because when I finished the syllabus, it's like, look, I did it. Um, but then I also collected student feedback on that syllabus to see how students were responding. Uh, it's not really a teaching improvement if I did all this work and my students say, yeah, but we don't like it. This is not helpful. Um, then it's a waste of my time. So the feedback I got on that syllabus was actually really amazing and um, affirmed that it was worth the time. 
And also provided me some great data if I was trying to document that effort to say, look, I did this thing. Here is the syllabus and here is the student feedback. And notice that students are using words that indicate that they were more engaged or that the language felt more inclusive because they felt encouraged um, to be part of this class and that they were entering a community rather than reading a contract. And it sounds like the framework also is a time-saving uh, framework because you don't have to think about well, what what should I look at next when I when I think about myself or when I look at the content I'm creating or what I'm doing in a classroom was saving time on your mind when you were doing the research and when y'all were writing the book. Absolutely, I think what we saw when we were working with faculty at Georgia Southern is that so many faculty were kind of spinning their wheels trying to figure out, I want to do this, but but I don't know how, I, I what should I be reading? What research should I be doing? And, you know, it's not necessarily their jobs to be pedagogy experts, whereas that is my job to be a pedagogy expert. And so what we wanted to do was create one central place that kind of condenses as much as we could, what we know about good teaching in one place. So you can think of the first half of this book as almost a crash course in what it means to be a good teacher. Um, that is the subtitle, Defining, Documenting, and Discussing Good Teaching. And if you're looking for a one-stop shop to figure out what that is, we've done the meta-analysis for you. We, we've conducted the lit review, and we provide that in one place. So you're not having to go out and read this article and that article and become an expert. So it's definitely a time-saving device in that regard. What about, or what could this um, critical teaching behaviors framework mean for how we talk about teaching in higher ed? I think it can give us a more consistent language in which to discuss what we mean by good teaching. One of our other goals was to give us flexibility in how we talk about teaching. Now, those things sound like they're at odds, right? Like, how can we be consistent but flexible? Um, so you think about some of the tools that are out there to talk about teaching or try to define it. And you think um, the first one that comes to mind is COPUS. And for folks who might not have heard of COPUS, it's very popular in STEM disciplines. And it's essentially a checklist of, you know, the instructor did this, 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 and this is how many times they did it per five minutes or whatever, something like that. Um, so it's observation-based. Um, <clears throat> but the idea is that you are following a rigid structure of here are the things that define good teaching in our discipline. And that's dependent on your observer. So those are two things that we were hoping the CTB would help move us away from, that we would be able to give faculty some agency in this too. Peer observation is still very much a part of what we're doing, but we wanted to make sure that we're incorporating faculty voice and agency in documenting their own teaching and not giving all of the weight to the observer or to the student or, you know, these external voices. Our perspectives on our teaching matter. Um, so that's something that we wanted with this. But we wanted to accommodate the fact that we all teach differently. That doesn't mean we all teach wrong and there's just this one right way of doing it. So when you look at the framework, for instance, we've got six categories of behaviors and we've got six example behaviors that are specific in each category. The book really expounds on that beyond the six that are listed. But the idea is not that you use this as a checklist. Even our observation form, this is this is not a checklist. This is guidance. Um, we, we're not promoting 
that people should go out and if you don't do every single one of the behaviors and every single one of the categories, you're not a good teacher. Uh, that's just plain overwhelming. No one can do it all. And the reality is not every behavior is appropriate for every course or every instructor. It's different depending on what we're teaching, the modality, the type of students. I, it even differs, you know, based on us sometimes. Um, so different techniques are appropriate in different contexts. And we wanted an instrument that was flexible enough to accommodate that. Basically, when you look at the CTB and you have these six categories, what you want to see for a well-rounded instructor is that they're doing behaviors from each of the categories. So if I were to go in and see, for instance, someone who is nailing all of their aligned behaviors and doing a pretty good job in integrate technology, but I'm not seeing any include or engage behaviors, it's still going to be something that I want to address with the instructor because we need to make sure that we're doing something in each of the categories to be well-rounded. As we wrap up, I want to ask our continuing the conversation question which is how can faculty interested in critical teaching behaviors get started? What are the next steps? Well, might I showcase this lovely <laughs> book on myself? Um, I highly recommend that you check out this book. It took us probably five years total to, to come to this conclusion. Um, so that's a great place to start if you're, if you're looking to learn more about critical teaching behaviors. You can also check out our website, criticalteachingbehaviors.org. Um, there's information there on how you can reach out to me and Claudia. Um, it's criticalteachingbehaviors at gmail.com. <laughs> um, but you can also reach out to me and Claudia. We're always happy to talk more. Um, Claudia and I have done some individual consulting with um, folks from other institutions who wanted to talk about how they could adapt a peer observation instrument or a student feedback instrument. Uh, we're also looking to publish some journal articles with um, data we've collected on using the student feedback form, for instance. Um, so we're hopeful that that will be out sometime in the next year. Of course, with journal articles, you never know for sure. Um, but there will be some publications forthcoming on data we've collected using CTB instruments. Um, so those are things to be on the lookout for as well. Great. And thank you for this great conversation about the critical teaching behaviors uh, framework. How can listeners connect with you? I am available on LinkedIn as Lauren Barbo, and you're also welcome to email me directly at lauren.barbo at gatech. Yes, that is gatech, G-A-T-E-C-H um, dot E-D-U. Wonderful. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing this with us. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, Andrew. Absolutely. I also want to thank our listeners. Please take a moment to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Speaking of higher ed. We release new episodes the third Wednesday of each month in spring and fall semesters. You can find the resources we discussed today on our show page at augusta.edu forward slash innovation. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash A-U-G-C-I-I and email us at CII at augusta.edu. Speaking of Higher Ed is produced by the Center for Instructional Innovation at Augusta University. <laughs>